just as Kath was mentioning there about our 15-year anniversary of being in this building, this church was actually was founded about 91 years ago. So we've been around a little while. Well, I haven't. <laughs> I'm still only 21. Okay. Um, but actually, um, when I first came, there was members in the church that were around when it first began. Um, so some of you will remember people like Reg and Mabel Cook and, uh, and those, yes? And um, some of you, like Edith, are probably not far off the, uh, the beginning, yes? Uh, what, what year was it when you joined? 16. 14. Don't tell everybody your age, okay? <laughs> but um, so it's uh, for some of you who have been here, certainly like I say, Kath and I, 20 years, for some of you who have been here for double that, triple that, you know? So it's, uh, it's fantastic when, when uh, there's a longevity of a witness in the, uh, in the uh, town, isn't it, of Stockton? Um, anyway, I was talking about marriage. And uh, so now we all have awesome marriages. Um, so today will be the last of the series. But if Kath misbehaves, <laughs> start again. <laughs> oh, it's great. I laugh because Kath always says loads of people go to her afterwards going, oh, how do you cope with it? How do you cope? <laughs> it's me that copes the rest of the... <laughs> She's good. Kath <coughs> says that she wishes she was a bear. She says this, if I was a bear, I would get to hibernate and do nothing but sleep for six months. I could get used to that. <laughs> and another thing, before I hibernate, I would have to eat myself stupid. I could get used to that too. <laughs> and being a mama bear, everyone knows I'm in business. I would swat anyone who bothers me or my cubs. And if my cubs get out of line, I'd swat them too. My husband would expect me to growl when I wake up. And he would expect me to have hairy legs and excess body fat. <laughs> he would like it. <laughs> I wish I was a bear. <laughs> we looked at marriage and having a transformation in our marriage, for often as we go through marriage, particularly when you've been married for a long time, it is so easy to just to kind of go through the mundane of marriage, and it is important to actually to look at, at your every relationship that you have, because every relationship requires work. Yes, it is important for us to understand that. Now, I want you to imagine if you went up to a concert violinist or pianist and you went up to this violinist at the end of a concert and said to him, oh, if only I had a violin like you. If I could have the right size violin and I could just kind of place it there, I know I could make music like, like you do. Now, can you imagine what the response of the violinist would be? He would be thinking, what an idiot. 
it didn't just happen. I didn't just pick up an ink. I didn't just buy the most expensive violin that I could get. I didn't just kind of go for a couple of music lessons, but I have spent eight or ten hours a day for numerous years in order to get to the standard that I'm at. So in other words, for our marriages, great marriages are worked at. They take time, they take effort, they take work, they take expense, you've got to invest into them. The problem is, is that before we get married, most of that comes naturally, because we are in love. But after marriage, we have expectations, which we talked about last week, we have unrealistic expectations, and they cause us problems because of what we expect after marriage, that we think that this is going to happen and that's going to happen, and so it becomes a problem. Or we have differences that before marriage we see in a positive light, that once we are married, we see in a negative light. Yes? Is that only me? Okay. Okay. Do we have unresolved issues? How many times do we have issues in our marriage that that we bring into our marriage that we had prior to marriage that causes a problem? And many times we're not aware of them, but suddenly they come and we realize that the person that we married has got baggage. I mean, we don't have baggage, do we? It's it's our spouse that has baggage, of course. But that's what the problem is. So we we, we don't resolve those issues and it becomes a problem. And we have mistakes that we don't forgive, and so we've got to learn to forgive. So we looked at steps of marriage transformation, and the first step we looked at last week was to be responsible for your part. Yes, we've got to be responsible for our part. Proverbs 14 and verse 1 says, The wise woman builds her house. The foolish one tears it down. In other words, a wise woman takes responsibility for a marriage. Of course, we know the same applies for a man. It's not all down to the woman. You know what I mean? Just saying. Okay. But I have a proverb to show that a woman is as much responsible. Why? Because she is so often, the woman is so often the linchpin, the key to a good family. She is the one that actually brings things together. She's the one, if you get a good, you see, you see a man that is excelling, you, you, you will 99.9% of the time, you will see a woman behind him that is actually encouraging him and spurring him on and, 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 and making him all that he can be. Yes? And now sometimes people do okay and their spouse is not encouraging. But generally, that is the case because we become Uh, what the people around us believe in us and and spur us on to be. So it's important for us. We've got to remember that it's not about marrying the right person, but it's about being the right person. Now, you can marry, I think it's good to marry the right type of person. I think we can look at types and things that you will kind of look at. There are some practical issues, and I've looked at those in the past, um, but you know what I mean, that you want to look at that you're com- con- 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 compatible, that's the word I was looking for, in various ways. But, um, but there's no one right person, yes? There's any number of people. Kath could have married any number of guys and had a good life. A happy marriage. Instead, <laughs> she chose the high road, the tough road, the narrow road. <laughs> So first of all, we've got to be responsible for ourselves. That's such a key 
in our marriages. Amen? That we've got to, uh, we've got to do that. Yes? And so I, I hope that uh, that is something that you're willing uh, to do. Now, the second thing to transform our marriage is we've got to believe. Got you like that. Believe. God can transform your marriage. You've got to believe that he can do that, yes? Now, I don't know how you feel about your marriage right at this moment in time. If you're married or another relationship, it might be boyfriend, girlfriend, it might be uh, mum and dad, it might be uh, with your children, it could be in work, whatever. I don't know how you might mean with it. And, and we often have clashes of, of, of relationship in so many spheres in life. And so it's important for us to look and to say, can we believe God for a miracle? Can we believe God that this relationship with my boss, whoever he might be, can be transformed, can be changed? And I believe that's important for us in our marriages as well. Matthew 19 and verse 26 says, humanly speaking, it may be impossible, but with God, everything is possible. In other words, whatever the state of your marriage right now or your relationship in any other sphere, with God it is possible. And that is so important for us. So let's say this. God has not given up on your marriage or your relationships, so we shouldn't. Yes? So we've got to understand that. Yes? You see, God is... God, God is on your side with your marriage. He's wanting you to have a good marriage, to have a healthy marriage. God is not trying to trap you. He's not trying to make you miserable. He's not trying to, um, to, to, to kind of make you have a bad day every day. He is trying, he has got your best interests at heart and knows that actually if you will work at your marriage, if you will work at the relationships around you, whether that's with your children or with your parents or with your neighbors or whether your work colleagues or whatever it might be, if you will work at those and you will see them work, I want to say to you, it will benefit not just you and not just your spouse, but it will benefit your family, it will benefit the neighborhood, it will benefit everybody else. If you can just bring that attitude to your, to your relationships, yes? God wants you to have joy. And he knows that marriage can be one of the most joyful um, relationships that there can be. But often we realize that it's not like that because we have let so many things into our marriage that cause a problem. So let me ask you a question. How are you looking at your relationship? How are you looking at your marriage? How are you looking at, at your uh, you know, your children or your parents, how are you looking? What's your perspective? Is it a God's perspective? Is it a heavenly perspective? Is it looking with the eyes of faith? Do you speak over your marriage and your relationships in faith? Are you looking with the eyes of hope? Are you looking with eyes of love? How are you looking at your relationships. I want to say to you, particularly as we're thinking of coming up to Easter, particularly poignant is, God is in the resurrection business. And he can resurrect a dead marriage. He can resurrect a dead relationship. He can resurrect things that seem dead and there's no way out. He can do that. And it, and, and it can be sometimes feel like the most extreme of cases, but God can reconcile. God can raise from the dead because he specializes it. 
So maybe you think there's a part of your marriage or a relationship that is dead. Speak into that the words that God would have you to speak into it, yes? The third thing we've got to do is to be willing to do whatever it takes. Galatians 6 and verse 9 says, Let us not get tired of doing what is right, for after a while we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't de get discouraged and give up. Have you ever heard anybody say they've got a great marriage? They're very lucky. Nobody has a great marriage because of luck. Now, they may have married someone that they actually get on well together and that they're not going to have as much conflict, maybe, because they're not as different uh, as each other. But, uh, but nevertheless, um, it's not a lucky marriage. They still have to work at it, and they have to have a certain mindset. They have to think about their marriage in a different way. And uh, we'll hopefully come on to that uh, a little bit later. So it's important to us, it takes effort. If you can get that more than anything else, it's going to take effort. Yes, they don't just happen. It takes humility, honesty, unselfishness. It takes a willingness to admit that you're wrong. And a willingness to change. A willingness to take and to believe in faith that, that, that things can be better. But it takes time and you've got to work on it. So don't give up, yes? Great marriages cost, but it is important that we do that and that God will give us the energy for it. Is that not right? That's important for us. Fourthly, is we need to be forgiving. Now, I've mentioned this quite a few times, but it is important, um, really important for us that we understand the importance of forgiveness uh, in our relationships. James 5 verse 16 says, Admit your faults to one another, and pray for each other so that you may be healed. There's healing in forgiveness. There's healing for you in forgiveness, and there's healing in other people when you do it. So it's good to admit when you're wrong. Yes? It's, uh, often we struggle with that more than anything else. There is um, an American psychological researcher um, who did, so, did extensive research on particularly on being able to predict people getting divorced. And he said that he could actually have a conversation with someone and within 15 minutes have a 90% accuracy as to whether or not they would get divorced or not. And this was based on over 40 years of research uh, that he did. Um, it's a guy called John Gottman, Gottman sorry. And um, uh, he's, he's, he's written numerous books, um, but one of his ones that is particularly we're known for is the seven principles for making marriage work. And, um, and, and in that, he talks about six things that predict divorce. Um, and so the first thing that it predicts um, uh, divorce, you yeah, maybe I'm going to write this on the back of your sheet, okay, if you're just making notes, whatever. Uh, things that, that predict um, from his research is the first thing is when having having a discussion, there's a harsh start-up. In other words, how the, how the discussion begins, most of the time, um, it says statistics say that 96% of the time you can predict the outcome of a conversation based on the first three minutes of the interaction. Wow. 
That tells you the importance of how you start your communication, yes? I'd like to talk to you about something, Kath. Do you know what I'm trying to say? How you start a communication um, affects the outcome of it. And we've got to understand that. It's not just about we get in the flow and we're going to work things out, that actually how we approach a, a, a discussion or an issue or whatever it might be is important for us. So if you lead with criticism or sarcasm, that's where you're going to end up and uh, uh, having a, a, a problem. Um, the, the second thing he talks about is the four horsemen. And uh, the four horsemen are certain kinds of negativity. And um, he mentions them. And uh, the, the, the four horsemen, he says, obviously, are talking about the apocalypse, which is uh, a metaphor depicting the end times in the New Testament. Uh, they describe conquest, war, hunger, and death, respectively. Um, so we, he, he uses this metaphor to describe communication styles in people that are, that are married. But, of course, it, it, it's a communication style in any relationship, isn't it? So if you think about whatever it is, that your, your people that you communicate with on a regular basis, how do you start your conversations? How do you interact with them? Or what's the thing is? And, and so the four, four horsemen, in other words, the four things that will kill your marriage or kill your relationships uh, are these four. Now, any one of them will, can kill it. But, of course, if you have more than one, it's an accumulative effect and will really will destroy it. The first one is criticism. That's the first horseman he talks about. Criticizing your partner is different than offering a critique or voicing a complaint. <clears throat> the latter two are about specific issues where the former is an, um, is an attack. It's an attack on your partner at the core of their character. And so, in effect, you're dismantling their whole being when you criticize. So, it's talking about criticism. The second thing it says is contempt. When we communicate in this state, we are truly mean. We treat others with disrespect, mock them with sarcasm, ridicule, call them names, and mimic or use body language such as eye-rolling or scoffing. The target of contempt is made uh, to feel despised and worthless. So contempt goes deeper than criticism. While criticism attacks your partner's character, contempt assumes a position of moral superiority over them. The third one of the horsemen is defensiveness. Yes, it is a typical response to criticism. So you'll find some people, if you are going to make a comment, whatever that comment is, some people are very defensive um, about them, yes? Um, and we know that. I mean, we've, we're all defensive in some way or other because there are issues in our life that we're sensitive to. And if you touch an area that people are sensitive to, they, they get very defensive um, uh, about it. Um, and so it, it really is a, a killer in a marriage if you're defensive um, over, over things. So um, it is important for that. And so if they're defensive, what do they do? They basically, when you bring something up, they attack. They will, they will defend themselves and often go on the attack. So in other words, you then fear bringing anything up because you think to yourself, well, all I'm going to do is to get a barrage back. I'm going to get defensiveness. They're not going to be open uh, to, to, to that. And the fourth one is that he calls stonewalling. Yes. 
Um, and this, he says, is the response uh, to content. Um, and this is where the listener withdraws from the interaction, shuts down, and simply stops responding to their partner. Rather than confronting the issues with their partner, people who stonewall can make evasive maneuvers, such as tuning out, turning away, being actively busy, or engaging ob in obsessive or distractive behaviors. So in other words, those are the things that destroy. Um, but what's nice is, um, is that he talks about what are the things that actually are the antidote to them. Um, and that's, that's always a good thing, isn't it, to talk about antidotes. And so uh, he has it on his website. He's got a nice little PDF, which if I'd have had time, I would have put on a PowerPoint. So, for example, with criticism, he says, where you're verbally attacking a person's character, the best way is to have what he calls a gentle start-up. So instead of a harsh start-up, start up gently. Yes, talk about feelings using I statements and express a positive need. Or contempt. In other words, instead of contempt, build a culture of appreciation. So in other words, with your spouse or with whoever it is in your family, with your children or with your parents or people at work, wherever it might be, if you build a culture of appreciation, you can change the culture in the office. You can change the culture at home. You can change the culture by just by being appreciative, yes? So saying thank you for things that they do. Try to look for things. So when you go home today, then look for ways that you can show appreciation to those around you of the things that they've done, that they have done, or they are doing for you. Um, and so that it just builds that culture. And it, 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 uh, it has a, um, a momentum of its own when we do that. Defensiveness. Um, instead of being defensive, we talked about the being take responsibility, accept your partner's perspective, and offer an apology for any wrongdoing. Woof! That would be a good one, wouldn't it? And for stonewalling, his antidote is, um, is about taking a break and spend time doing something soothing and distracting uh, with each other. In other words, you've got to work at it, yes? Um, that is so important to us. So he talks about the harsh startup. He talks about the four horsemen. He talks about flooding. In other words, where you, you, you start a conversation. I was listening to someone, a uh, pastor's wife, through the week, and, um, and she was saying how they were on a, she was on a car journey with her husband, and, um, and there was a lot of things just building up, and she was getting frustrated about. So because they were in the car and they were going off, wherever it was, um, uh, she kind of brings something up, thinks, okay, this is an opportunity to bring something up. So of course, and brings it up, and he just kind of, oh, okay, love, all right. And then so she thinks, oh, that was quite well accepted. So she brings something else up, and, uh, and she thinks, oh, I saw, and of course, eventually she gets on a roll. And uh, she's kind of, uh, you know, now at the end of the journey, she's got rid of all this. Yes, so she's feeling great. She says, I'm just feeling wonderful because I've been able to kind of offload all of this and it's all kind of out. It says, so that night when we got into bed and, and I wanted to cuddle because I'm all kind of thinking fresh and great, he's going, who are you, woman? I don't know you. <laughs> in other words, in other words, Sometimes the flooding is not a good thing. You're giving too much. To have a little bit. And I know for, for some of us, it's kind of we tend to bottle things up. So what happens is, is we have a little thing that's frustrating and then something else, and it gets bigger and bigger, doesn't it? 
So what we've got to do is deal with the little foxes before they spoil the vine, before they spoil the marriage, spoil the relationship. Got to deal with the little things, but do it in a nice way. Amen? So the thing with, uh, with, with, with the, the other thing is, is body language and how body language can make a difference. Yes? Um, you know, actually kind of looking at them when they're talking or whatever it might be. So it's easy in body language for us to be able to kind of, um, um, you know, show that we're not listening or we're not interested or whatever. Um, and they've done, they've done uh, stats on it and um, they, they're saying that one of the most apparent uh, of these is when, yeah, particularly because of flooding um, and the body language and the body reaction to, to that, it's saying that when this happens, the heart speeds up. It's pounding away more than 100 beats per minute, even as high as 165. There are hormonal changes that occur too, including the secretion of adrenaline. Blood pressure also mounts. The physical sensations of feeling flooded make it virtually impossible to have a productive problem-solving discussion. So in other words, if you try to do too many things at once and tackle too many issues, like I said last week, start with something small, start with something simple, something that you think you can get a win under your belt, and then you can progress from that. The other thing that, was, uh, that he talked about is failed repair attempts. In other words, when you try to repair a situation or a, an issue and you're trying to kind of deal with it and you're failing it and it keeps happening, that becomes destructive to your marriage. So you've got to both work at it. It's not a one-sided thing. It becomes, because what happens is, is it becomes a pattern. And it becomes a pattern in the way that they, they, they do it. Because every day you are building a history in your relationship. And it's the basis of that relationship and the, the history of that that kind of mounts up either positive nor negative over time. And so it's important for us to look at that. So... One of the things that he talked about was bad memories. This is destructive to your, to, your, to your marriage or to any relationship, is bad memories. In other words, you've got a history of your relationship being unhappy. You remember the unhappy times. You remember the hurts. You remember the things that maybe haven't gone right, the difficulties in your relationship. Um, the thing. And the, the problem is, even some of the things that happen early on in your marriage have a tendency to still stay there later on, so long into the marriage, if they're not dealt with. The happiest marriages are the people who look at the past with a positive mindset. They, they look at the positive things that happened, the great things that they did together, the good things that they had, times that they had together. So by having that, that made such a massive difference to them. So I hope that has helped a little bit um, with regard to that. So we need to be forgiving, yes? We need to use those little words. We need to work at it. We need to understand that when we're having a discussion, how to approach it is important. Colossians 3 and verse 13 says, Be gentle and ready to forgive. Never hold grudges. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Amen? So the fifth thing is you've got to be wise and get advice. Be wise and get advice. Don't face a situation alone. Don't try to go alone. Don't try to do it alone. Try to get some support from others. So if your marriage is needing some help, then get some counseling. Get some wise friends around. Get some people around you 
that can just give you and speak into your life and speak some advice, some encouragement, some guidance, some ways for you to kind of go forward. It's really important that you do that because to become wise, you need to walk with the wise. You need to spend time with the wise. And so it's important for that. It may, it may just be a mentor. And it might, I'm not, again, I'm talking about marriage, but it can be any relationship that is important. Yes, if it's an important relationship to you, that it's, it's important that you get some help. So if you've got even a problem with your boss, you can ask for some advice and come, you know, somebody that come along. That's why with our connect groups, they're so special because in our connect groups, we can bring something up. We know that they're going to care about us. Uh, they, they, they're going to take a concern in the issue. They're going to pray with us and pray for us. And they're going to give us some advice. And, and hopefully it's good advice, yes. Um, and, um, uh, in order, and we all need that. Every one of us need that. Now, with regard to marriage, I just want to give a little thing that I've, I, I see. Um, doesn't mean to say it's always the, the case, but it, it is probably at least nine times out of ten, is that if you're looking for advice in your marriage, don't go to your parents. And I'll say that for the simple reason your parents are on your side. They will only see your perspective. And they will often give you bad advice. I've seen some of the most spiritual parents and pastors, and yet when their children are in a dire situation, they're having marriage problems, they give some stupid advice. Yes, because of, because of their relationship. They're just saying they, they, they're trying to protect their child rather than getting them to work at their marriage and to, and to, and to do what needs to be because if when you go to your parents you are still their little boy or their little girl and no matter how old you get you're still your little boy and your little girl yes and uh, and so it's important to that now go to your parents for comfort yeah go to your parents for comfort they should be there to comfort you yeah but when you come to counsel it's good to get some outside advice yes to get some people that can, can, can do that. <coughs> Proverbs 24 and verse 3 says this. It takes wisdom to have a good family. And it takes understanding to make it strong. Proverbs 19 and verse 20 says, Get all the advice and instruction that you can. The point is, get people alongside of you. Get some support, get some encouragement. And obviously that's why our connect groups are so important to us. And sixthly, I won't say finally, because you might expect me to finish. So I'll say lastly, and then I can last. <laughs> sixthly, be focused on trusting Christ. This is the most important of all of them, is to have Jesus at the center of your marriage, the center of your relationships, yes? And, and, and you, you need that more than anything else. Why? Because it's so easy to lose your focus in life. We uh, get distracted time and time again, yes? Solomon was the wisest man that has ever lived, but guess what? He got distracted, yes? He ended up with too many wives, and it wasn't just the amount of wives, it's the fact that they were wives who were worshipping foreign gods. 
and they turned his heart, and so he ended up worshipping all their gods as well as the God of Israel. And God had said, don't have any other idols. Don't, don't worship any foreign gods. So he'd given them a clear thing. And as a result of that, because of the distractions, because he got self-absorbed in his own pleasures and what he wanted to see and what he wanted to have, that he lost all, the, all perspective and ended up losing the kingdom as a result. And that's what can happen with us. If we get distracted we don't, and we get self-absorbed about how it's affecting us and our relationship, what we want, is what happens is, is we will lose things. We will lose our kingdom. We will lose our marriage. We will lose our family. We can lose so much when we get distracted. And so it's important for us, as Hebrews 12 and verse 3 says, we must focus on Jesus, the source and goal of our faith. As I mentioned, um, uh, 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 in other words, the last week or the week before, about marriage being a three-legged stool. It, your marriage needs more than just you and your spouse. Your relationship with your parents needs more than just you and them. It needs more in any relationship. It needs Christ to be the center. Because Christ in me and Christ in you, they don't disagree. Christ doesn't disagree with himself. Yes, he gets on very well with himself. Yes. And so if Christ is in me and dwelling in me and he's important in me and I bring Christ to the relationship and you do the same, it transforms our relationships. Every relationship does. It takes us onto a new level. The Bible says, God who is at work within you will give you the will and the power to achieve his purpose. God will give you the power for a great marriage. God will give you the power to have great relationships at work and with your neighbors and with the people around you. Wherever you are in your relationships, I believe it's important, as I've said, to get advice. It's important to make Christ the center. You need to be in a small group. You need to be around people who can give you advice. Now, no one person can advise you on everything. Yes? Well, that's why we need different mentors. Um, you know, you need people who are specialists in certain areas. Get some advice from them and what they, what they can add to it. And it might, might be somebody, even sometimes we can get mentoring from somebody who is maybe in a different field, but yet just their perspective can alter things and en enlarge your perspective as a, as a result of it. So I'll finish with this. Love is a choice. It is not a feeling. And my prayer is, is that as we end this series, that we will go away from today into the rest of our lives, knowing that if we will just have faith, trust God, believe him, and bring a lot of hope into our relationships, live with hope, and we have love central as the basis of all that we do, I want to say to you, you will transform your marriage, you will transform your family, you will transform your connect group, you will transform the church, and the church will be part of transforming the community. Amen? And we need Christ to do that. Let's stand together and we're going to, to pray. Uh, hopefully you've got um, your communication card. Love for you to complete your communication card and um, just to put down whatever you're comfortable with. Um, but I want you just to give your opportunity. Today, we believe God is here. We believe God 
He's speaking to us, to every one of us. He may have spoken to you through something that you've that we have sung earlier on. It may be even in a conversation. It may be just something, maybe it might be in what, what has been said today. Whatever it is, I'd love for you just to be able to put on the back a little comment. Maybe it's some, some aspect you're saying, I believe in God that I need to do this now, or I think this is the next step. Or maybe it's some aspect of prayer. You want us to pray for you in a particular situation or for a family member or somebody that you know. We love for you to do that, Yes. Because we believe that God can change every situation. And that's what we know. Amen? So let's just pray. And let's just pray about what we've, what we've talked about. Father, we thank you that you are here and you are with us and you are for us. And we pray today that, Lord, that you would help us to accept responsibility for our lives, for our marriages, for our actions, for our relationships, we pray. Help us, Lord to stop blaming others. Help us to stop criticizing. Help us to stop, Lord, condemning. Help us, Lord, to stop being defensive. Help us, Lord, so that we can be all that we need to be. I commit today, Lord, we commit today as a church, as a spouse, we commit today, Lord, to do whatever it takes to have a great marriage, to have a great relationships in my life and today I pray that you would help me so that I would have the courage to forgive I pray today that you would help each one of us to have the courage to forgive others and to be forgiven we thank you Lord that there is such a great blessing in being forgiven and I pray for your mighty hand to be upon us today I pray Lord that every one of us when we leave here today would sense your hand and your power on our lives Help us, Lord, to implement what we have heard. Lord, we don't want just to be uh, inspired. Lord, we want to be able to apply it to our lives so that the application of it can bring transformation, I pray in Jesus' love.